Let's pray together. Father, thank you for our time together so far. And uh, Father, uh, thank you for all that you're doing uh, presently here and and looking forward into the rest of the year. Uh, Lord, we're excited. Really are excited. And I, I think how it ties into what we've been talking about the past few Sundays, seeking and setting our minds on things above. And and in doing so, Lord, and walking with you daily, um, allowing you to speak to our hearts about active participation in your church, active participation in what you want to do here and globally. So, so Father, as we continue to new, uh, move forward into 2020, today as we continue to look at how, what it means to seek and set our minds on things above, I pray, Father, you would speak to us, that you would um, bring the understanding and then the application and that we would leave here, Lord, enthused, ready to go out in the power of the Spirit to be transformed as we walk by faith and not by sight. So we give this to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. We have been looking at uh, Colossians 3, 1 and 2, sort of our foundational springboard verses into 2020. And, And the Apostle Paul says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. And so we're not really calling this a New Year's resolution. What what we've been really speaking to as we kind of get our gears moving into 2020 is really, you know, being intentional. What's your purpose? What are you moving towards in 2020? You know, what is it? uh, 19th. So 19 days into 2020. Have you taken the time to chart a course? Are you already moving towards something intentionally, even spiritually, maybe financially, maybe relationally, maybe in your health, maybe in your career? 19 days into 2020, are you being intentional? Because most, I would say, sort of just let it happen. You just kind of, you know, you're into the routine, you kind of maybe got your flow, and you're sort of just letting it happen, just sort of wake up, you know. We've been really, I think, challenged and encouraged through the word to, to be intentional and seeking and setting. You know, we, we, we've seen that's present tense. It's supposed to be our lifestyle, right? It's a choice and, it, and really it's a command. It, it, it's very interesting. That verse where it says, seek the things, set your minds, that's a command. And, and I think even in the church, we still have a hard time. There's something in our flesh that, that kind of doesn't like the word command. Anyone like the word command? <laughs> right? Anyone you command and right away, right? Don't cross the line. How many of you got to get it real close to that line? Right? Don't touch that. How many of you touch that the minute your parent turned away, right? There's something in our flesh. It's, it's a command and yet, it's a command. So 19 days into this, this is a verse we've been looking at since the beginning of the year. We're, we are commanded to actively choose as our lifestyle to be seeking and setting our minds on things above. Okay? Yeah, even just, okay, wow, let me think about that. You know, it's not, it's not a great suggestion, and it's not a, you know, a, if you really feel like it, it's a command. So even now, just a quick, a quick evaluation, a quick assessment, 19 days into 2020, if you're honest, where has your mind, your heart really been seeking and setting? 
What, what has consumed you 20, 19 days into this new year? Your finances? You know, issues, problems? 19 days into this, have you been seeking and setting things above? What does that even mean? What does that even look like, right? How do we do that? And that's why we're not too, uh, too hurried in this month to kind of race on through this. No, we're looking at this. And, and last week, we looked at a story, you know, a very familiar one, where, where Peter walked on water. And you remember Jesus had sent his disciples out. Wind kicked up about 3 a.m. They're in their boat. Wind kicks on the Sea of Galilee. Waves, they're freaking out. Jesus shows up. They freak out. Ah, it's a ghost. He's like, no, it's me, right? And then Peter says, hey, if it's you, Jesus, tell me to come, right? And Jesus says one word. What does he say? Come. Come. And Peter gets out of the boat, right? And the Bible says a miracle happens. Peter actually walks on water, but then the Bible says he started to look at the winds and the waves, kind of freaked out at the surrounding, and he started to sink, right? And so in Matthew 14.30, it says this, But when he saw the wind... He was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me! Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Now, the key to this, if you weren't here last week, was Jesus, you know, he nails it. He says, Hey, this is a faith issue, Peter. And he asks a straight question. Why did you doubt? And, and, and last week, what was really important is, is to understand that the word doubt is a very specific word only used in one other verse in the New Testament. And in this case, doubt does not mean unbelief. Because we know Peter believed because what did Peter do? He got out of the boat and actually started walking. So when Jesus says, why did you doubt? He, it's a very specific Greek word for doubt. And what this word doubt means is waver, wavering, hesitancy, uncertainty. Wavering, hesitancy, uncertainty. Right? It's not about a mental confusion or unbelief. It's about he got to a certain point. All right? So we used this last week. Here's the boat. He gets out of the boat. He starts walking to Jesus. Miracle, miracle. He's walking on water. The Bible says Peter actually walked on water. But at a certain point, he wavered. At a certain point, he hesitated. At a certain point, he reached uncertainty. And that's, at that point is when his focus shifted to circumstance. And we saw that as, a, as sort of a, an encouragement to those who are believers, to those of you who have gotten out of the boat spiritually. You're following Jesus, right? And, and sometimes in our life, we, you know, we're following, but we're still holding on. Got a little security blanket. And then he gets you to the place where you know he's asking you to do something that you got to let go. And you have to be completely focused and dependent on him. You're too far away to grab it. It's an all-in-with-Jesus moment. And for some of us, you might be here this morning, you might be listening online, and you are at that place. You're out of the boat. You've seen God do miracles in your life. Okay, this is not a condemnation message. This is an encouragement message. You're here, 
God wants to keep sanctifying you. God wants to keep growing you. God wants to keep challenging you to grow spiritually. And you know and he knows you got to let go. you got to take the next step. And in your gut, you're wavering. You're uncertain. You're scared. Right? And you're starting in that situation. With those emotions come thoughts. And you're starting to look at this. Circumstances. And you're starting to now look at yourself. And you're starting now to try to make assessments at the human level versus the supernatural spiritual level that got you to where you are. Right? And this is really challenging, I think, for us in the church because I think there's this misunderstanding in the church that as you grow spiritually, things are supposed to get easier. So... I got saved. It was really hard to start reading my Bible. It was really hard to start praying. It was really hard to make church part of my life in small groups. And, and you know, I still get challenged once in a while with mission trips and all this stuff. But we, we have this kind of this strange idea that spiritual growth means less challenges. Kind of like, you know, in your career, Right. You struggle up the corporate ladder. You, you start at the financial bottom. And what's the goal? Make money, get your retirement, so at a certain place, you rest. Well, I think sometimes we've bought into that spiritually, where we, we struggle really, really hard initially, because it's all new, and we don't know how to do church, and we don't know how to pray right, and we don't know how to talk right, and we don't even understand what we're reading and then we get to this certain point where we're supposed to go into spiritual retirement. Right? The, the spiritual retirement home, and now it's just smooth sailing till we meet Jesus at the pearly gates. But then we kind of get challenged because some of you are sitting here, and you've been a believer for 30, 40 years, and you're wavering right now. God, you're like, God's not done with me? No. God still challenges me. He still wants me to go to Mexico. And I'm, yeah, maybe. So right off the bat, 19 days into 2020, are you still open to being transformed? Are you still willing to listen to Father and take the step that launches you into a whole new category of faith and stretching. See, I think a lot of us don't like the, the, the discomfort of wavering. So we stay just close enough. Just close enough. Are you willing to go, oh, right? And I got to tell you, as a believer, it can rock your world. In a good way, but in a very, very challenging way. You know, I, I've been in ministry 30 years, walking with the Lord for a few more years after that. And i got to tell you something. Just this past month, you know, I have been stretched personally, just a little testimony, to the place where, honestly, just in my own life, I got to that waver hesitancy uncertainty 
place in my own personal life. And I teach this stuff. I know the verses. I get in front of you and encourage you to get out the boat, you know. And, and then I realize in my own life, God's challenging me. And I'm, I'm, I'm rocked. Like rocked, rocked. Like so rocked that I have to call the boys into my office one I forgot what day it was, and sit them down and say, hey, can we meet? And I, I just literally said, dude, I'm, uh, fellas, I'm being rocked right now. I'm not in a good place. I am challenged. I am being challenged. I am, and, and, you know, this is 30 years into it. I'm a, it's like weird, even as a pastor, it's like, hey, Father, I'm a pastor. Can I not be challenged? This is the challenge, Father. Not my own life. This is the challenge. You know, can I just be good with this challenge of running the church? You know, he's like, nope, because I'm not done with you, right? I'm not done with you. And 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 so I'm sitting there, and 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 I realize the value of one anothering, right? I realize that it's not all about talking and counseling and giving out. That that God wants to transform me and grow me to the place of where I have to say uncle, right? I I came to the place just couple of weeks ago, I had to say uncle. And, and, you know, I'll be honest with you, as much as we want another, one anothering for me is tough in terms of like, I can help you. I can pray for you. I'll counsel you. I'll listen to you. I'll come visit you in the hospital. I'll even do your memorial. But if you ask me how I'm doing and to share my life with you, not so much. Part of that's how I was raised. Part of that maybe is being a guy. I don't know. But when you get to the place of, of out there and he's saying, no, you're not done yet, pastor, 30, 30 years something walk with me. I need you to take a next step. And you're wavering to the point where you have to cry uncle and call in the boys. You know, that'll it, it's, it's really strange. I'll be honest with you, because you almost feel like you went backwards. Because you feel like you should know better. You feel like, why? Why am I not trusting? Because I've. I've been with you 30 years. Why do I feel like a little spiritual kid again? And in many ways, he's wiping the slate clean so you can take a step forward with him. That's what he's doing. And you will feel uncomfortable. You will feel like it's all awkward and starting again. Verses will go, you'll straight line on verses because they just don't hit you anymore because now you're being asked to take a step way out of your zone. And he wants to grow you and stretch you, and you might just waver. And you might just feel uncertain, and you might feel awkward, and you might feel actually pretty self-conscious because now what are they going to think about me? You know, the last thing I wanted to do was call in the boys to share my heart. You know, I'm the lead pastor for crying out loud. What are you going to call in the boys for to share what's going on in your life? Can't you handle it? You know, you teach this stuff every week, pastor. Can't you handle this? What's wrong with you? But at a certain point, when, when you realize God's stretching you and trying to challenge you and get you to trust Him even more, you've got to make a choice. I didn't have to call them in. I could have buried it. And I could take... I can come right back here. I could stay right here. Until I retire from here, until I go see Jesus, I could stay right here. And be fine. Really be fine. And yet circumstances happened in my life and, and I recognized 
I was being called to trust him even more, to release even more, to surrender even more, to let go of control even more. And I was wavering. I was at the place of just literally rocked. And so I, I, I really get Peter. And I really want to encourage you, whether you've been walking with Jesus for one day, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, he's not done with you. And he may bring you to places of wavering and uncertainty because he wants you to trust him more. He wants to grow you. He knows what you're holding on to. He says, hey, let go of that. And And if you let go of that, you grab me, we go to the next level of our relationship. Right? But that's scary. That's scary. And I was thinking about Peter. And then I was thinking about, well, what's an example in the Bible of someone who, who was challenged with something? And, and what can we learn from this, this young guy who, who was challenged and had his mind set on the things of God and handled it? What can we learn from that? And so I was, I was like, Lord, what, what, give me an example. Where, how can I... How can I grow through this? And he brought me to David and Goliath, of all things. 1 Samuel 17. Story of David and Goliath. Very familiar, so I encourage you not to check out. Because sometimes when pastors on a Sunday say, we're going to talk about David and Goliath, everyone goes, tell us something we don't know. David and Goliath, good for kingdom kids, but we're grown-ups in this room. Right? So I'm going to encourage you, don't check out just because I said David and Goliath. Because I think God wants to speak to us as we move into 2020. Because my guess is, in some shape or form, uh, everyone here and everyone listening, you're going to have a Goliath or Goliaths in 2020. question is, are you going to have the faith to move forward through those Goliaths? Right, I put up um, the picture of, of the Valley of Elah. So this is the Valley of Elah. And in 1 Samuel 17, it says that the army of Israel and the army of the Philistines, they lined up on both sides of this valley. And the Philistines, thank you, Eileen, the, the Philistines had a champion named Goliath. Goliath was about nine feet tall. His armor weighed 125 pounds. His spear weighed 15 pounds. He was their champion, their champion. And so what happened is, if you don't know, uh, rather than the armies just racing at each other and everyone fighting till the death, uh, there was a tradition that, that they would do in these days. And the champion of one would challenge the champion of another. Those two would fight and whoever won or lost, that settled it. So the entire army didn't even have to fight. So what happens in 1 Samuel 17, uh, Goliath, for 40 days, twice a day, morning and evening, the, the armies would get in their battle array, they would face off in that valley, and Goliath would come out and he says, Hey, let's do this. I'm here, army of Israel, pick somebody. Right? Let's just settle this, me and your guy. Right? 40 days... Twice a day. Verse 10 says, And the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. 
So, 40 days, twice a day, Goliath gets up, and where I come from, he talks trash. He talks trash. He says, let's do this, you know? Oh, you go. I'm not going to go. You go. I'm not going to go. You go. So they kind of slink back. Imagine this. Kind of weird, right? 40 days. Armies get all geared up. Goliath shows up, talks trash in the morning. Oh, I'm not going to do it. You go. Evening, they all gear up. Goliath talks trash. Oh, I'm too scared. I'm too scared. And they all go back to bed. David, at this time, was a young guy. And what he would do, he was living at home with his dad. And every once in a while, his dad would say, hey, go bring some food to the army. Because his three older brothers were at the front lines. They were here. And he says, hey, go bring some food and check on your brothers and come back and tell me. So David would go back and forth, back and forth, right? And so one day, David is bringing cheese to the army and checking on his brothers for his dad. And he just happens to be there when it's time for Goliath to talk trash, right? And so in verse 24, it says, All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid of Goliath. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same way, So shall it be done to the man who kills him. Right? So David's here. He shows up. Goliath's talking trash. And he kind of says, Hey, what's going on? And the soldiers of Israel say, hey, check this out. The guy who kills him, the king, you're going to be rich. You get the king's daughter. And the third part that many people believe is you're free of taxes. You're exempt. Your whole house. Right? You're going to be rich. You're going to get, yeah, right? You get the king's daughter. No taxes. Here's the crazy thing. Those three incentives were not enough. Those three incentives were not enough. Right? And David says this. His, his reaction is, What shall be done for, this, for the man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? The Philistine is defying the armies of the living God. See, David saw it as personal. He's disrespecting us. This is personal. He's defying the armies of the living God. This isn't just a, a battle. This is personal between him, what he's saying, and how he's disrespecting us. He's disrespecting our God. You see the difference? Right? And, and it's really interesting because the soldiers say, this man, defy Israel, kills him. David says, defy the armies of the living God, takes away the reproach from Israel. Do you see the difference? The soldiers, the other Israeli soldiers, they're looking at it this way. It's all human. David's looking at it this way. It's, it's, he's, disrespecting, he's disrespecting God. He's disrespecting God. And what's really interesting, those three incentives, riches, daughter, and taxes, they weren't enough for any of those soldiers. And, and you think about that. There's a difference between willpower and why power. 
Willpower and why power. And sometimes we get stuck in our life because your why is not big enough. You see, why should I go fight Goliath? Uh, Riches, daughter, and taxes, not big enough. Those aren't three big enough whys for me to go put my life on the line. I'll stay back here, thank you. David had a big why. David had a big why. His big why was the honor and respect of God and God's name. So question for you, what's your why in following the Lord? Is your why big enough to get you moving? Maybe that's why you feel like you're, you're wavering and you're, you're uncertain because you don't have a big enough why. A lot of us rely on willpower, good intention, resolutions. What is your why? Why are you doing this? Why do you want to go to Mexico? Why do you want to follow Jesus? What's the big why? That if you, if you spend some time asking yourself that, maybe if you answer the big why, you're going to go, dude, I got it! And suddenly it makes sense. For instance, why do you come to church? Now, some of you are like, does he really want to know? Because they're looking at the... Think about that. Why do you come to church? What's the why? See, because if you spent time, honestly, looking at the biblical reason for why you should be here, it will change you when you're here. It will change your motives, it will change your attitudes, it will change your participation if you understand the why behind even coming to church. Because the why of, because I'm supposed to, that's not a big enough why. That's not a big enough why. Right? If you get the big why about church, your whole, your whole experience of church will change if you understand the big why. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit. The big why. So in your life, what's the why? Is it willpower or why power? Where, where are you at with this in following Jesus? Why? What's the why? Right? David had a big why. He had a big why and it motivated him. It was the glory of God. It was the honor of God that just drove him. It compelled him. He had this huge why, right? And so... It says in verse 31, when the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and, he sent, and Saul sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant, that's me, David, your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. Right? And if you know the story David's oldest brother, Eliab, was there. And Eliab wasn't happy that the runt of the brothers was there. He's like, why are you here, man? What are you doing here? Oh, you just want to watch the battle. That's it. Who are you, right? And it's crazy because here's David wanting to stand up for the honor of God. His, 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 his heart and mind is seeking and set on God. And in the middle of that, his older brother and the king say, eh. Can't do it. See, here's the thing. If you have a big why, the naysayers aren't going to stop you. 
If you have a big why and you're following Jesus and you're clear on the why, then even criticism and discouragement from within the church won't stop you. Why are you going to Mexico? Right? What's that all about? Oh, now you're going to Tuesday. Oh, are you special? Tuesday night. Oh, you're one of them Tuesday night. It's weird. Sometimes we're, we, we set out and we, we let go and we're doing things of the Lord. We're seeking, and, and even within the church, we get criticism. We get naysayers. Who do you think you are? Don't let that stop you. Don't let that stop you. Because sometimes, I'm going to be honest with you, when you step out in faith and obedience and you do what's right, you know why others criticize you? Because they're convicted for not doing what they're supposed to be doing. And your actions make them uncomfortable. And so in their uncomfortableness, they throw you under the bus. Don't let criticism, don't let the naysayers stop you from doing what you know God needs you and wants you to do. Even in the church. Even in the church. Right? And so David didn't let it stop him. And he says in verse 34, But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. You see, when I used to read that and teach it as a youth pastor and everything, I would gloss over the lion and bear part. I'd be like, Yeah, that's cool, David. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. But let's just stop for a second. David is a shepherd watching the sheep. A lion shows up. At some point, this was a first for him. And he had to deal with the lion coming and taking one of the sheep and go get the sheep and save the sheep. See, that lion at that moment was Goliath. That was his Goliath moment. And then, another time, I don't know where he keeps his sheep, but a bear shows up. It's like, dude, find another pasture. This is like not good. A bear. A bear. Row, row. He has another moment. But I'm guessing when the bear showed up, he went back to the lion. Amen? You got it now? So, lion, bear, I'm bringing cheese, checking on my brothers. That guy talks a lot of trash about my God. No, I'll deal with him. Lion, bear, Goliath. See the preparation? Maybe that's what God's been doing in your life. See those times? See, I think sometimes, again, as Christians, we get saved and we want Jesus to take all the troubles away. 
And we don't understand why our world got turned upside down. And we don't understand why it can't just go smooth. Well, maybe because it's a lion, he's prepping you for the bear because tomorrow Goliath is coming. Do you see how much he loves you? There was a plan and a purpose behind everything in your life. Nothing is wasted. And in the, in the, in the moment, in the moment of David fighting the lion for the very first time, he didn't know the bear was coming. And then he's dealing with the bear, but he's got a little bit of background with the lion. He had no clue Goliath was coming. And then he gets to Goliath, and now he's got two things to bank on. What will, in, what will enable you and I in 2020 to face the Goliath is to not forget your lion and bear. Do not forget the times when you were screaming, you didn't know what to do, you were scared, you were at the end of your rope, and God delivered you, and you had one of those, oh my gosh, moments, God is God, anyone? Do not forget those. Do not forget what God has done in the past because what He has done in the past prepares you for today and tomorrow. That's what He's been doing. It was never wasted. It was never wasted because He knows what you're going to need next. That's His grace. That's His grace. Isaiah 51 says, I, yes, I am the Lord. I am the one who comforts you. So why are you afraid of mere humans who wither like the grass and disappear? Yet you have forgotten the Lord, your creator, the one who stretched out the sky like a canopy and laid the foundations of the earth. Will you remain in constant dread of human oppressors? Will you continue to fear the anger of your enemies? Where is their fury and anger? It is gone. He says, What's the key? you forgot don't forget those weren't one-offs when he took you through that storm it wasn't so you can kind of go woohoo that was good glad that's over let's move forward no there were lessons there was a deepening of your faith your trust there was relationships he wanted to grow and build in you because he knows what you and I need today and tomorrow because we don't know what's coming We don't know what's coming. And then in verse 38 and 40, uh, Saul says, okay, here, put my armor on. And so King Saul tries, you know, he puts his armor on David, the shepherd boy, and David's like, ain't going to (laughs) work. Can't do this. Right? Can you imagine that? King, there's a problem. Right? And he says, he has not tested them. So with the best of intentions... The king says, hey, use my armor. And when I read that, I thought, you know what? Here's the thing. We can be there for one another. And I can pray for you, and I'll be there, and I'll do everything I can. But at a certain point, you've got to do what you've got to do. You can't wear my armor. And parents, you know what I mean by this. Sometimes we want to save our kids, and we want... Just do this. Okay, as a parent, how many of you have ever said or thought to your kid, can you just do this? With the best of intentions, just do this. Put, code for, put my armor on, just do this, and this will 
get you through that, right? And what do they say? Thanks, but no thanks. And they got to, what are they? They have to go do it. They have to go do it, right? And, and even the king said, okay, okay, I get it. My armor is not going to work for you. My journey isn't going to work for you. We're going to be there. The Bible works for all of us. Amen. We have the same resources, but your journey is going to be unique to you. So we've got to be real careful in the church about throwing rocks at each other. Because what I consider tiny to me might be a lion and Goliath to you. Okay? We've got to be real careful about that. Just be real careful because everyone's journey is unique to them. Right? And so they start coming at each other. And in verse 41 or 45, it says, Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with the sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. You know what I love about this passage? David says that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. It wasn't about David, was it? He wanted to glorify God. He wanted this victory to bear testimony that all the world would know my God is a bad God. This was a testimony. He said, this is not about me. This is about testimony to the world. My God is still God, right? And then he says, not just that. And then he says, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with the sword and spirit. He says two things, very important, right? If you and I are going to face Goliath in 2020, A, it's for his glory. And B, we've got to remember that it bears testimony to this assembly. That it brings encouragement to those in this church who are watching you. You see what I mean? It's not just about me getting through a Goliath challenge. It's how I get through it in the battle, with the battle being the Lord, how I seek and set my mind gives glory to God, to this community of non-believers, that God is still God, and it gives glory to God within the church that God is still God. That's what we do. It's not just about us getting through it. There's a bigger purpose, right? There's such a bigger purpose. And then verse 48 and 49, when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell to the ground. I love that, right? David ran quickly toward the battle line. He didn't waver. All the big bad soldiers, 40 days, they were frozen, wavering. The Bible says David, focused on God, he ran. He ran. That's the kind of courage and faith I want to have. Right? I don't, I, I don't know. I mean, and, and I'm, this is probably, you know, this whole growing and wavering thing. 
I would love for my life and for your life to bear testimony that when there are situations that require attention and require godly people to step up and move to the front, that we run. We run in the power of the Holy Spirit. We run with courage and we run with faith to meet the need. We run. Because the battle is the Lord's. We run because it gives Him glory. We run because we trust Him. We run towards it. Towards it. Right? And I think about uh, just some few practical helps for us, reminders. In 2 Corinthians, this idea of not forgetting, the Apostle Paul had the same experience. 2 Corinthians 1 says this, 1.8. We think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, this is the Apostle Paul writing to the believers at Corinth, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure, and we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. Anyone ever get to that point? Right? But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves. Wow. We stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely only on God, who raises the dead. And he did rescue us from mortal danger, and this is important, and he what? Will rescue us again. We have placed our confidence in him, and he will continue to rescue us. And you are helping us by praying for us. Then many people will give thanks because God has graciously answered so many prayers for our safety. Do you see? The Apostle Paul himself says, He did, he will. He did, he will. Okay, 2020. When he calls you to do something, when you're facing Goliath, you fill in. God did, he will. Okay? Very important. And then we're going to need each other. The one anothering that you hear about. First Corinthians 12, right? You know it's very familiar that he says he puts us into the church, the body of Christ. And it's very important. There's a mutual dependence. First Corinthians 12.21 says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. See, under the new covenant, we need each other. To face the Goliaths. Sometimes you read David and Goliath in the Old Testament stories and it can almost be twisted to where you think it's all about me and I'm going to be like David and I don't need anybody, just me and Jesus, me and Jesus. No, under the new covenant, you're placed into the church and according to verse 21, we need each other. So you might as well turn to the person next to you and say, I need you. I know it's hard for some. I know it's really hard for you self-sufficient, independent control types. But you might as well just go ahead and say it again. I need you. Oh, yes. Freedom. Liberation has come. I need you. So there's mutual dependency, but then there's also mutual ministry. One of my favorite verses about why we come to church. Coming back. Hebrews 10. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing, drawing near. Why should you come to church? Because you have a ministry. You have a ministry. As a believer, don't neglect coming. And when you come, you have a ministry. There's mutual ministry. It's called considering and encouragement. 
The word consider means to think about, ponder each other. Like, literally think about one another and how you're doing spiritually. What do you need? Are you okay? Since we talk, Consider one another, and then it says, stir up and encourage, which means to come alongside. Every time you come here on a Sunday, you should come here with the understanding that you have a part to play. That's why you come. It's not just come. You hear me say this all the time. Don't just be a getter, be a giver. If you come to church, if, you, if your why about why you should go to church is not just to get but to give, radically changes your life. Radically changes your life. And I'm not talking standing out howling bulletins. I'm just talking smiling and talking to the person next to you, praying for them, asking how their week was, genuinely being concerned and caring for them. Radically change your whole church experience if you understand you have a ministry. No title, no nothing other than fellow believer. Radically change it. Okay? And then finally, 1 Peter 1.3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Do you, do you remember back David? In the story of David, you say, remember I talked about he defied the armies of the living God. See, in the New Covenant, we have a living hope. And if you were here in my series on hope, hope isn't like, oh, I hope I win the lottery. Oh, it's not wishful thinking. That's not hope. Okay, biblical hope is joyful expectation, absolute certainty. That's biblical hope. Okay, it's not wishful thinking. It's not like, oh, hope so, I hope so. No, it's I hope I, it's hope sure. Some people call it hope sure. So when you have a living hope, you as a believer, because Jesus rose from the dead, you kind of walk around with a bit of an attitude. Because you kind of know, because he rose, I got some confidence behind me. Amen? That's what he's saying. He has given, given us new birth into a living hope. Confident expectation, eagerness, absolute certainty. You walking around with absolute certainty? And here's the thing. It's not based on how you feel. It's based on an empty tomb. It's based on the truth of the resurrection. See, Easter isn't just something in the past. Easter is today. Because he rose from the dead, we have a living hope. We have a living relationship. This isn't just like a bunch of beliefs. Christianity isn't just like believing a whole bunch of stuff that happens in the past. Christianity, truthfully, is about a living relationship with a living Savior. For present tense issues. It's alive. It's dynamic. You got the power of the Holy Spirit. You got the third person of the Trinity living in you, for crying out loud. That's crazy. How many still find that crazy? Like the Holy Spirit. The Bible says you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Okay. Crazy. But do we avail ourselves of that? Right? Are you really appropriating that? Are you really walking in the truth of that? John Piper, John Piper says this, Living hope is hope that has power and produces changes in life. This is what living means in Hebrews 4.12 where it says the word of God is living and effective. 
So Christian hope is a strong confidence in God, which has power to produce changes in how we live. It's a living hope. You see, when David was facing Goliath, it was a living relationship he had with God. The God who saved him from the lion and the bear was right there. Question, when Goliath rears his head, maybe you're facing Goliath right now. Maybe it'll be tomorrow, maybe Wednesday. Do you believe that the living God is right there? Are you going to face it on your own or are you going to face it with the living God? I mean, that's what he's talking about. And this is why we need each other. Because at those times when he puts you out there way at the limb and you're wavering and you're uncertain, you know, you know what some of us need at that point? Not a lecture, not even necessarily Bible verses. We just need a brother and sister to go, you're not alone. You're not alone. Right? Thank you. Right? In the early uh, 2000s, when I first arrived here, I had the opportunity to take a trip to Israel. And it was like a pastoral trip where it was a small group of um, me and Pastor Paul and some other pastors from around the country. We met there, about eight or ten of us. And it was like a pastor's tour so that you would bring your congregations back. And we had this small van and we're zipping around different places. And it was towards the end of the trip, and when, you know, as trips do, the timeline got crunched, and we had not been able to go to the Valley of Elah, except it was on the way to our, our hotel or something. And the tour guide said, okay, we'll be driving past the Valley of Elah, you know, David and Goliath, it's right off the road there, we're going to pull over, you got a few minutes. I'm like, Sweet. Right? David and Goliath, Valley of Elah. We pull off, and it's, go ahead, it's the Valley of Elah. And it's right off like a road, like a road. You're like, Dick. you're like, really? Like no big signs and everything. It's just, this is where it happened. I'm, you know, when you go to, if you've ever been to Israel, you have these Bible stories, and you're trying to wrap your mind around the fact that this is where it happened. Philistines, Israelites, David, Goliath, right here. I'm standing right here, right? And so, I get all excited, so I go down, and in the valley, there's a creek. And I'm like, sweet, I'm gabbing me a smooth stone from the valley of Elah. This is my smooth stone from the valley of Elah right there. You know? And, and I'm like, yeah, okay. I got. And it was funny, because the tour guide, he laughs at us. Right, because he's a local guy. He goes, it is hilarious. All these tourists come um, from America and they go to all these sites. And in Israel at the time, you could take whatever you want. So he says, like, all you Americans, you go home with suitcases full of rocks. Because <laughs> you go to Caesarea, you pick up a rock. You're at the Sea of Galilee. I need some shells, right? And you come home with 40 pounds of rocks from Israel because it's free and they let you do it, right? So I get this stone from the Valley of Elah. And it just reminds me. It's real. It's real. And sometimes our problems, our Goliaths, are more real than the real God. 
and I keep this there, and I'm like, no, that's real. That's really, you were there, and this the Valley of Elon, it really happened, and this just, just helps me. This just helps me in those moments when I may be wavering and uncertain, and I just need some, you know, a little help, a little reminder, no, this is real. Same God that was there for David when he defeated Goliath, he's there for me today. Same Jesus that grabbed Peter, he's still there. The same God that helped you and is helping you. He's there. And the crazy thing, he'll be there tomorrow and the day after and the day after. All the way till we all meet in heaven. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, thank you Thank you for the times that we are stretched and we are challenged and we might even waver and hesitate. I thank you for that because I'm reminded in those moments that I still need to trust you. I'm reminded in those moments that sometimes I try to make my life real comfortable and I try to run my life in such a way that maybe I don't even need faith anymore. And then you allow a situation and you put me way out there and I feel like Peter about to go under. And you save me. And then you remind me through David that it's not about me, it's about you. And that David had a lion and a bear in preparation for Goliath and and then you remind me of the journey I've been on with you the times in the past I was at the end of the rope and you came through and and we celebrated and so father I ask you to forgive me for the times I forget the times I forget and I doubt and I waver simply because I've forgotten And I pray for my brothers and sisters. We don't know what 2020 holds. I don't even know what what Goliaths they're going through, even as they sit here or why they listen to this. But I do know you. I do know that you've you've given us a new birth into a living hope through faith in Jesus, through the resurrection of Jesus, the historical fact of Jesus, as real as this rock. We have a living relationship with Jesus. We have confidence. We have joy because we have a living hope. So thank you for that, Father. I pray for those here that uh, maybe have never put their faith in Jesus. It's living. It's a living faith. It's a living faith. Put your faith in Jesus. Trust Him as the Lord and Savior. Just, Just rest fully in His grace and His finished work. His death, burial, and resurrection as a Savior of the world. Just put your faith in Him. And if you're going through a Goliath season right now, great opportunity this morning through this song, through prayer, to reaffirm your faith. To be reminded that you're in a room full of people who are just walking with Jesus just like you. Father, we love you. We sing this song to you. Living hope. 
We sing it as a prayer. We sing it as a declaration. We sing it with boldness. We sing it with enthusiasm. It's an affirmation of our faith in you, Jesus.